Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hey, Trojan fans, welcome to the 300th episode of the Parastyle Podcast. We've got a very special guest joining us on the podcast to celebrate 300 episodes of over five years running of uscfootball.com and the Parastyle Podcast. We have Colin Coward from ESPN Radio. You can hear him on The Herd on ESPN Radio. He also has Colin's new football show on Sunday mornings and a new book, You Heard Me. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Costco locations. Colin Coward, welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Ryan. Who was your 200th guest? Lane Kiffin. Was well, what ha- well, so what happened to him? So that's, that's kind of an omen. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully you're okay. I mean, you got a lot. Yeah, of, so I hope you got a lot of stuff going on. So I don't think uh, I don't think there's any danger there. But yeah, Lane. Lane Kiffin. I wanted to see if he could make it to episode 300. He actually told me, Colin, on episode 200, I'll come on for the 300. So I, I guess I could have given him a call and see if he wanted to talk some football. But I think it'd be better to talk to you about what's going on. Well, I appreciate that. Um, well, before we get into stuff, I wanted to, you know, you, I saw some tweets about your new book. Uh, you heard me. Maybe you want to give people a little update of what that is and, and where they can get it. Yeah, you can go to Amazon.com. Uh, you heard me. Uh, I'll say it if nobody else will. Just kind of the ability to burrow in on topics that I may just touch on in radio, some of the funnier topics, funnier lines. Um, just you know, a variety of topic, topics, a lot of NFL, college football, NBA, social issues. We'll talk, you know, it's stuff that radio doesn't give you time to go deep on, and you can. You know, I'm really proud of it, Ryan. It's I worked on it for three years and uh, have a couple of books. I'm going to be out in California, Los Angeles for the BCS National Championship game. So I'll be in Pasadena, and uh, I, I think somewhere in Los Angeles, and I'll notify your audience and tell you where I'm at. But the hardest thing I've ever worked on, and I'm uh, just really proud of it. Oh, great. Well, I'll definitely check it out. And uh, I'll be out there at the National Championship game, too, so we can uh, can great. say hello, get a beer or something while you're, while you're out. I know Absolutely. you live in California, so it's a... No, I do. And I'm in the East Coast right now. For people who don't know, I'm actually in uh, in outside of Boston um, for uh, visiting my family for... The holidays, so it's a it's not not. I brought some warm weather though, Colin. It's like in the 50s here instead of five degrees and freezing like it was like last week. Well, we've both got to watch the Trojans in one of their more energized bowl efforts, uh, certainly since the Pete Carroll era. I, I thought that was as energized and as focused. I was surprised. I thought you know, you had so much coaching chaos where Clay Helton was your third coach or second interim. I just didn't have high hopes. I didn't. I didn't see any way that a team could be focused with kind of the helter-skelter coaching moves, but I thought Clay Helton and Clancy did a great job. I thought they were aggressive on defense with a perfect game plan, forced Carr to throw on the move, and offensively, Cody is becoming the quarterback. I think you know Lane thought he would be when he recruited him, but kind of never allowed him to be. And I think Cody's a gamer. I remember telling Lane one time, I don't know if he asked me my opinion or I just gave him my opinion, but he was talking about Max and Cody, and I and I I said, I'm telling you, from what I've seen, Cody's the gamer. And here, if your job's on the line in any business, I'll take the gamer. 
and I think Cody's kind of exhibited the best qualities. Good feet, uh, gets rid of the ball, not very quickly. That's kind of a downside. He's got kind of a elongated motion, but he's a gamer, good on his feet, was a great high school basketball player. He's, he's you know, athletic enough, and I thought that was as good a game as he's played. So it was a very, very nice, soft, catchable deep ball. Cody does for sure, and I, you know, he looked yeah. good in that game. I uh, set a record with four touchdown passes in the Vegas Bowl, and one point I brought up, Colin, going into this, when I did some you know pregame shows and stuff like that, usually you see a team like a Fresno State or when we saw Boise State play Oklahoma, that's the team that pulls out all the stops, and, they, and I think Fresno State was going to try to do that too, but in this case, you have the po- traditional power, USC, that has interim coaches and, and guys that are lame ducks and they're probably not going to be around next season a lot of them it seemed like this was a team that was going to pull out all the stops as well almost like they were the underdog they were going into it you know we saw the onside kick you saw Clancy Pendergast just bringing the house uh you know blitzing all the time just getting a lot of pressure on there did you feel that that's how this game was going to be and it's kind of a different scenario for a USC you usually don't see the traditional power acting like that I thought it was brilliant and I, I'll just give you my takeaway is my feeling and it was very early in the game that to keep the players galvanized and to keep the players alert, because it was very easy with some upperclassmen thinking about the NFL, another coach, Ed's gone. I thought the game plan was brilliant. Guys were going to have a lot of blitz packages, onside kicks, fakes. Uh, we may fake punt it. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go forward on fourth down, forcing the team to be alert. We're going to try some new things. Everybody's going to play multiple backs. Um, And that is an easy message to sell. Guys, we are going to be so aggressive and take huge chances. This is going to be a party, which I thought kind of bled over to the sidelines. And I think that was the right message. Instead of, because, you know, by this time, everybody knows the offense. Going back to the same old, same old, let's put a bunch of high-risk plays in forcing the team to be kind of aware and focused at practice and alert, and everybody's sort of emotionally got to be all in. And I thought it was a really smart game plan. And I think, as you know, whether you're playing at the Outback Bowl, the Vegas Bowl, the national championship, it's a long layoff. One of the ways to keep teams alert is add new things, high-risk ventures, and giving young players opportunities to make special plays, and I thought it really paid off. Clay Helen, I think, comes off really well. I think, I think he handled himself well over the couple of weeks leading up to this game, and his name was mentioned for the Arkansas State position. It was mentioned for uh, Florida's you know, offensive coordinator position. Um, but then it seemed, I don't know when this decision came down. Maybe it was when Steve Sarkeesian and Pat Hayden were hanging out in the in the box watching the game, but it seemed like, at some point, they came to the realization they wanted to keep him on staff, which I, I didn't really believe at first, but it looks like that's what's going to be happening now. What do you think about Clay Helton, what he did, and, and Steve Sarkeesian keeping him? Well, it's very interesting, Ryan. I, I, very interesting. Very rarely will an interim coach ever stay on. It, it, it almost never happens. So what I find very intriguing, and I've got a theory on it, and it's not necessarily right, just sort of a theory – that with this sort of recruiting situation at Washington with that assistant, and Pat Hayden was on the committee to rewrite the rules for coaches and punishment, that as that Washington situation and Sark and Josh LaPoy works itself out, 
is it the worst idea in the world? Because now infractions follow the coach, i.e. Sark, if he was ever connected. Now, I don't think it's a huge story. I've had two sources say they don't think it's a story uh, and that USC and Sark will be cleared. But if it's not, let me just throw this out. Would it be the worst thing in the world if it came back and there was a several-game suspension for a head coach? Would it be the worst thing to have an Ed Orgeron or a Clay Helton on staff who have already provided and illustrated an ability to be interim head coaches? Now, again, it just it's very rare, very rare, that an interim ever stays. In this case, Clay Helton has reportedly been offered to stay, and they're reaching out to Ed again. So I, it, is it odd? Is it peculiar? It's <laughs> unique, uh, and it makes me think they are looking for stability if, worst-case scenario, there was some fallout from that recruiting story up in Seattle with Sark. It's very grassy knoll stuff. Where it's kind of it is. <laughs> you know, listen, I, I, I'm not saying, but I, you know, I, it's so rare and so unique. My takeaway is that's Orgeron is stability, familiarity, fans, media, administrators. Clay Helton is familiarity, stability. Would they be really good guys to have on staff beyond being excellent coaches? And in Orgeron's case, a remarkable recruiter. Would they be very stabilizing forces to have around in case worst case scenario there is a little there is a little you know issue with that case as the NCAA hears it because now the rules of which Hayden was on the committee to rewrite them those sort of infractions follow coaches and in this this is not I'm not saying it is I just I think it's so unique that interim coaches too are offered positions yeah. that it just it just something I kind of thought of that's really odd. It's a very strange situation. The whole thing has been strange, and with with yes. Orgeron not being there. And what are your thoughts on, you know, Sarkeesian apparently reaching out to him and, and trying to bring him on there? It's it's it seems like it'd be tough, you know, to get a guy like that to come back. And you know, he worked he worked for Lane, who was his subordinate before, and now he's working for Sark. It seems like a long shot for something like that. Well, I mean, first of all. Ed on any staff is a bonus, um, and he is uh, a top defensive line coach. It is a – in this day in college football, you cannot win national championships unless you are elite in the box. So you have to accumulate talent through recruiting and then coach it up. I think Ed, Ed's remarkable. I was disappointed that Ed did not um, did not take – an assistant offering from Pat Hayden. I understood it why there's a certain vanity or ego for a guy. Um, but I also think that sometimes you have to sit back and go, wow, this is an incredible opportunity, an incredible university. And now we know that, uh, I think I called him Josh, Tosh LaPoy, now that he's being investigated, he has no chance to arrive on USC staff. And therefore, it leaves a void for Ed Orgeron. So I think Ed on any staff is great. The question would become, Ryan, how, what's the sensibility with he and Sark? Because he's a more veteran coach. He may not be comfortable coaching under him, though he coached under Lane Kiffin. How does that play out? I don't believe he would accept it. 
I don't believe he would. Clay Helton, I do believe would. I believe Clay has some uh, kids. He'd like to keep them in school. Uh, there's rumors of a Florida offering, but why would you want to go? Will Muschamp is about two losses away from getting fired. <laughs> they don't. They do not uh, have a quarterback who is ready in the SEC to lead you to anything special. Whereas you could, you know, you, you keep Cody Kessler and Nelson Aguilar and four good running backs and good tight ends. So I mean, USC's offense should be very productive in the Pac-12 next year. I think very productive. Uh, I mean, basically, Florida's rebuilding. So Helton, I get, would accept, think he will, and I'm not sure. I doubt he would accept. The Helton thing is interesting just because he went from, if you look at him this year, he was a non-play calling offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. He went to the play calling when, when Kiffin got fired, he became the play calling head coach, I mean, uh, offensive coordinator. Then, of course, the interim head coach. Now it seems like it would be a step back to go back. You know, Sark said he's going to call the play, so he'd go back to being a non-play calling offensive coordinator. That's the only reason I would think someplace like Florida would be attractive, because if he go back to at least play calling again, it seems like that would be a step up. Uh, although I think USC is heading in a better direction than Florida. And, um, you know, and I also think that Sark is easier to work with than Lane. Um, um, uh, I, I, Sark has been very open and very loyal to people. Um, and, and I will say that this is another reason why the Ed and Clay Hilton offerings are very unique because initially we were led to believe that Clay Hilton, uh, T Martin was about the only coach coming back. So that's another reason why I've thought so much about Clay Hilton at Orgeron, why the offers and why my kind of theory, that's just kind of, you know, it's a grassy knoll thing. But, um, you know, sometimes you got kids in school, you like the area, you have a great relationship, USC steps up the money, um, and which I think Pat Hayden would do and say, listen, Clay, in this situation, we really like you. Um, th there's continuity with you and Cody Kessler. So, I mean, clearly USC and Sark are going to move in a different direction offensively. Uh, they're going to go faster tempo, which I think – for the for the time being, scares some people because of limited scholarships, and they're pretty thin on the offensive line uh, and the defensive line. They're a little deeper this year with a couple of junior college uh, transfer and Delvin Simmons last year. But I think that no huddle could be a little problematic, at least for one more year, because you reduce scholarships on the sanctions. But we all see where it's going with the offense, and I I I don't necessarily think Clay Helton. I think he could play a vital role here. Uh, also, Ryan play a vital role with the current players on the roster who like him. Yeah. So if Ed doesn't come, you have Clay Helton, who the players already like, they're familiar with, they trust him, because Sark is all about building trust. They already trust Clay Helton. That's true. And uh, this team was obviously playing well. He, he did a good job man, you know, managing all the egos. I, I don't know what Pat Hayden and Steve Sarkeesian were thinking when they were hearing that all these players were playing for Ed Ordron, who's no longer around. Uh, but the staff... You know, has has done a pretty good job, I think, down the stretch, especially with a you know this will be the fourth head coach at the top, you know, in the last couple of months. A guy like Clancy Pendergast, who turned this defense into really a powerhouse, um, it doesn't look like he's going to be retained. What are your thoughts on some of the assistant coaches? It doesn't look like he's going to keep. Well, Clancy doesn't recruit. Uh, to me, that's a no-no. I would never keep an elite coach on a staff that doesn't do some recruiting. Now, Nick Saban only asks his offensive coordinator to go get him a quarterback every year. Um, but I mean, Clancy basically doesn't want to recruit. Well, if you're going up against Jim Mora and Todd Graham and the Oregon machine 
and now Chris Peterson and David Shaw, I don't think you can have a defensive coordinator who refuses to recruit. I just, I'm just sorry, I'm not down with that at all. So uh, that's nothing against Clancy, um, but in this uber competitive Pac-12, where let's not kid ourselves now, with the new television contracts with Fox and ESPN, everybody has updated facilities. Yeah, uh, you got Mike Leach in that offense, Rich Rod in that offense. If you want to um, keep the best players in Los Angeles County. You can't have elite coaches, coordinators who are not solid, at minimum, solid recruiters. Clancy won't recruit. To me, it's a no-no. You've got to get a young guy who will go out to the top schools in Los Angeles County and get the best players. No, that's a good point. And that, but I think what that does, though, it ratchets up the expectations. When you saw how well this defense played against Stanford, you know, with that powerful team only playing 12 guys or whatever, um, you know, only giving up a couple of scores. I think it's, it's going to put a lot of pressure on this USC defense next year if they change schemes and change all that because everyone's going to look back to this year and say, well, it was working before Steve Sarkeesian comes in and makes changes. If he gives up a whole bunch of points to you know, teams like Stanford and things like that, I think you're going to hear a lot about it. Yeah, you know, don't, let's not forget, Fresno State's not a Pac-12 team. Um, and it was pretty clear athletically they weren't early. The Pac-12 is nine of 12 teams go to bowl games. Most are favored. It is outside of the SEC, uh, the deepest conference. In fact, I'd argue this year it's deeper than the SEC, and it's not going away. If you follow scout.com or yours, rivals.com is which I follow, your site, uh, ESPNU recruiting, you can follow any of these, 24-7, max preps. Look at Pac-12 recruiting numbers over the last two years with increased facilities. Everybody now is ratcheting, ratcheting things up. So, um, I, you know, it, it's, it's a dogfight. It's an absolute dogfight. I really do believe, and I said this from the beginning, I thought Sark was the right, most seamless fit. Kevin Sumlin's had six teams, six bad defenses. Um, I, I didn't get it. They weren't going to get Jack Del Rio because Del Rio could get there in January. At minimum, maybe February after the Super Bowl, you're done with recruiting. He doesn't have any really great college background. I think it's the right coach. I think it's the right fit. I think Pat Hayden now is in the process of negotiating with an agent for Justin Wilcox, which is, from what I've been told, a bigger headache than it was negotiating Sark's deal. <laughs> but I, I think this is – I think USC fans should be excited. I, I think there's too much chirping um, and unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. I mean, never forget, when Pete Carroll got hired, it was mocked. Okay, and Pete Carroll came after Paul Hackett, who was a disaster, and they were both NFL guys. So fans' initial reactions, nobody celebrated Mac Brown at Texas. He was a Tulane, North Carolina guy. Nobody knew who he was. Um, people tend to overreact uh, and be underwhelmed when you have to realize life's about fit. And Sark is it, from Torrance is a very, very good fit for USC and the high school coaches in LA and Orange County. Hey, you mentioned recruiting quite a bit, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, I mean, you, you follow this stuff, and uh, yeah. there's been some changes, obviously. What, what do you think Steve Sarkeesian's bringing to the table as far as recruiting goes and what he's done so far with a few commitments they got? Well, they got a quarterback commitment um, from Sarah, which I don't I, – what my belief is is Steve is going to take a quarterback every year. Now, there's a young player at Chaminade who's already committed uh, verbally to the University of Miami. 
and that ideally is who you know I think USC would want. Yeah, Brad. Uh, I don't know. What, yeah. Yes, I think that's that is uh, that would be the player they would most want to recruit. But he's not available at this time, uh, and it doesn't look like he's going to waffle on his verbal commitment. Is you can you can certainly live with Cody Kessler in the short term. You absolutely can. I don't know what the future of Max Brown is. He's more of a pocket thrower. And a couple of years ago, Sark had an epiphany, and I know this. Uh, not an opinion. I know this that Sark had an epiphany, and they're going to go to a reduced playbook, more instinct-driven. Quarterback makes decisions. Um, instead of that uh, cheesecake factory menu that Lane Kiffin would hold up, it's more like an envelope. Uh, your coaches can get home earlier at night, be more energized for recruiting and other details. Uh, I think it's the future, and so does Sark of college football. The rules now basically encourage you to run that kind of offense and use the clock to your advantage. So um, I think they're going to recruit a quarterback every year. He, By the way, he left Washington with two unbelievable quarterbacks, one Troy Williams, was a former Southern California high school football star. If the Trojans had Troy Williams right now in tow, uh, it would be an incredibly bright future for USC. That's, that's the name of the game with Sark's offense, is the quarterback. I think they're fairly well stocked when Stephen Mitchell comes back at receiver. They'll take two this year. Uh, they need another tight end. Uh, they'll probably take five on the offensive front. They can probably pass on running back because of Buck Allen's emergence, Trey Madden, and the two young kids. Um, they're going to take five guys play on the defensive line that can go without a safety for one year. Bowman redshirted two corners, two, three linebackers. But I think Sark's a tremendous recruiter. I think the staff, especially T. Martin, are very good recruiters. And I think Sark, I think Sark's plan is a smart one. The uh, simplified offense is something that he mentioned in the opening press conference. I think a lot of USC fans didn't. They kind of glossed over it, and a lot of you know the ones that are looking at this as Lane Kiffin 2.0. He's calling the plays. They were, you no know, way. yeah. It's but it's the that's a really important point. The offense is completely different. It's more of the the stuff like you would see at Oregon than what you're seeing with the the Denny's menu, like you said. Two two years ago, uh, I talked to Lane about this, and two years ago, uh, Sark would be driving home in Seattle, and he would call Lane, and Lane was staying the night in his office, and Sark said, "Dude, you got to switch to this offense." It's better on you, your family, the staff. Uh, we've got a third of the plays. Sark basically looked at it and thought, what kind of life do I want? Well, I can win as many games running this, uh, get somebody who can make plays with their feet and their arm at the quarterback spot, um, simplify the offense. Players are faster when they're not burdened with uh, enormous numbers and volume of plays. And I think fans have glossed over it. Uh, USC, if you go look at the Washington teams, and Washington doesn't have four players who would start for USC. They really don't. Maybe Danny Shelton on the defensive interior, Shaq Thompson, um, you know, maybe, maybe their tight end. Uh, Jenkins is going to be an NFL first or second rounder. But, you know, by and large, Washington doesn't have USC's talent. And Sark would tell you that. Sark's told friends that. There are very few guys who would start for USC on the Washington team. But they produced 600-yard games repeatedly. And it was fast football. It was smart football. It was instinct-driven. So that, that, that these comparisons to Lane couldn't be further from the truth. But I got a lot of friends, and they're in the restaurant business. Or they do, you know, they're not in the media. Why do my friends have to be duplications of me? Sark's his own guy. Um, Sark has his own belief system. Uh, they're both good recruiters. I mean, Sark's much more personable, I think, than Lane Kiffin. 
And um, so uh, the, the comparisons don't make any sense to me. I mean, it, it's by the way, if you go look at Sark's staff, they they are not like Sark. Justin Wilcox doesn't really have a head coach feel to him. He's a little quirkier personality. So, you know, I, I don't buy that Lane and Sark are are the same coach. I I think they're completely unique personalities onto themselves. And the simplicity thing, I think we saw that this year with USC and the defense, where you you took out the you didn't see players kind of thinking about what they had to do. It was more of a you know an attacking defense as opposed to reactionary, and I think you saw what that did in one year on the defensive side. We'll see what happens next year on the offensive side. Well, and I and I think the, my 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 biggest criticism of Lane Kiffin was Lane at the end of his tenure was in the what can't we do business, and whether your job's on the line or not, you have to find your players and figure out how to get into the what can we do business. It's not about limiting Cody Kessler because of concerns about mistakes. It's about elevating Cody Kessler and getting the best out of him. That's what Clay Helton really did a good job of. And I thought Lane too often was in the what can't we do, uh, marginalizing players. I mean, Buck Allen has emerged as a real a real big-time running back. So I think Sark did a great job at Washington at really playing and coaching to his players' strengths. You know, it's very Belichickian. And I think if somebody asked me about Steve Sarkeesian, my opinion is always he coaches, he has a system, but when he started at Washington, he coached, you know, Jake Locker, and he coached to his players' strengths, and he slowly adapted and created his own environment and his own system. So, you know, here's the good news. USC's got NFL talent. I mean, you go look at their offense next year. Darius Rogers, Aguilar, Stephen Mitchell, NFL-level tight ends, um, good young offensive linemen, four legitimate backs, Cody Kessler. I mean, 90% of the country would die for those players. Defensive line, Leonard Williams, first-team All-American. Now, you lose some defensive ends, but good, rangy linebackers, young stars at safety. Uh, I think Seymour's going to have a breakout year at corner. Um, so this, this is – you return your kickers. I mean, this is a – this is a really, really good team. It really is. It's a, I think the bowl game, it looked greater than it was because it is Fresno State, but I thought you saw the, the speed and the volume of talent that, that is already in the cupboard. The uh, One last topic before we let you go here, Colin. The, uh, the juniors, there, you mentioned some of those guys. I mean, there's the Deion Baileys and uh, you know, George Ucos and Hayes Pollard. There's a bunch of juniors that could end up leaving. What are your thoughts on all that? And if, if a bunch of them leave, what Will this team really be that good next year if, if they lose a bunch of those guys? Well, there's two you'd really like to keep more than any. You'd like to keep Marcus Martin at center. He's the most valuable. Uh, if he returns, that's a very formidable, young but formidable offensive line. If he leaves, uh, you, you're going you're to have a young center. You may have a, a true freshman coming in playing center, um, and I don't think that, that, that's ever a great spot to be in for, a, for a, you know, especially a college power like USC. I think Marcus Martin is your first to be concerned about. Um, after that, I think George Uko on the defensive front, because nobody's really graduation uh, eligible right now. They can leave for the NFL, but they're all underclassmen. If Uko stays with Delvin Simmons and the uh, uh, junior college interior defensive lineman, you've got some depth. Kenny Bigelow now, redshirt freshman, will play. You've, you've, got, some, you've got some depth now, finally. And so I, I feel good about that. I, I think those two are the keys. Hayes Pollard, um, I, I think I think Hayes Pollard may go. Nice player. Deion Bailey, to me, 
his has you know he's been like all conference two positions. I think he's a really nice player. I think he's kind of topped out as a college player. I'm not quite sure, to be honest with you, what Hayes Pollard is going to do. Um, my gut feeling is he would probably go. Well, thank you very much, Colin, for coming in our 300th episode. I want to thank you again for taking out some time. And everyone else, we're going to be back in just a minute. We're going to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde, and then a little bit later on the show, Dan Weber. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Coach Harvey Hyde joining us on the show. What's going on, Coach? How are you doing? Everything is wonderful. I tell you, what a way to go into the uh, holiday season. USC has already won their bowl game. You can kick back, pop the popcorn, watch everybody else play, and know that they can uh, start to size up the rings as the bowl champion. And I tell you, congratulations to USC Trojan football program, the athletes, the coaches, and all the fans out there that supported this team. And to all of you out there that uh, listen to our podcast uh, weekly, we want to say happy holidays to all of you. And Ryan, I want to say happy holidays to you and your family and everyone out there. What a way to start the holiday season. Yeah, happy holidays to yourself as well. And uh, you and your family, Coach, it's great to always talk with you. And this is our 300th episode if you can believe that that's why we had special guest uh colin coward in the the first segment but 300 episodes that's a lot <laughs> well it's nice to have it's nice to have colin as the opening act it, it really is make sure you you tell him thank you very much for us okay i certainly will um but you had some special i did i'm not in los angeles right now i was not able to listen to the trojan brunch but i wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what Steve Sarkeesian said, maybe you can kind of share with the listeners what he said on the Trojan Brunch Show, because there's some breaking news from that. Well, excuse me. Yes, it was yesterday, our final Trojan Brunch of the year, which is a Sunday morning show that we do on ESPN in L.A. Yeah, we had Steve Sarkeesian, Clay Helton, and we wanted to more or less sum up uh, the exciting news that was going on. First of all, discuss this, uh, with Steve Sarkeesian about now he can take over as officially and be around the players and do all he, what he needs to do as far as being the head football coach of uh, the USC Trojan football program. We talked a little about staff, and when we discussed the staff, uh, he and we asked about Ed Orgeron because he was on during the third quarter of the broadcast of the game and mentioned that he was going to reach out to Ed Orgeron. So we specifically asked him how and what and why. And very professionally, very professionally, he described the emotion that Coach Ed Orgeron had. He said he would have felt the same way. He says he's going to give it some time for it to uh, uh, settle down, and he is going to reach out again to Coach Ed Orgeron and uh, welcome him back to the USC Trojan football staff as defensive line coach and possibly recruiting coordinator. He didn't say what position, 
but I'm just assuming that. And uh, it was a great interview. He was very positive. We talked about changes. We talked about, will practices be opened in the spring, as he discussed earlier, and he explained to me that no, he could only, because of NCAA sanctions, only have four practices open in the spring, and we haven't uh, thought of which ones those will be. And I, uh, as a smart Alex, said, well, Coach, don't, don't, uh, don't, uh, and he sort of laughed afterwards, so I'm preparing everybody. I said, well, don't comment on this, but as the NCAA told you how many rolls of tape you can use. And uh, he really got a kick out of that. And I said, don't comment on that because I don't want to get you in trouble. But uh, we had fun with that. And then uh, we asked him the question regarding Clay Helton. And uh, was it official that he was going to be announced as a the offensive coordinator at USC? And he says, well, uh, it's not official, but and uh, it, they were going to have an official uh, press conference today, and then that's when it becomes official. So he didn't want to say official when there's still planning a press conference on that topic. And uh, we did ask Clay Helton the same uh, thing uh, later on. He followed Steve Sarkeesian, and he said the same thing that uh, I said. Uh, he said, I can't comment on that, but uh, if Steve Sarkeesian will uh, have me, I, I want to be here. And I said, well, I want you to know something, Clay, or coach, coach to coach. I said, I went by your house this morning, and I didn't see a for sale sign. <laughs> so I'm assuming that it's going to be positive. So we had a great uh, Trojan brunch. It was positive after a 45-20 win. Uh, sellout crowd, second largest crowd in the Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, and a great following of, of SC people there. The team really performed well. It was complete domination, the the USC style of the past and what people like. And it uh, just ended up a, a great show and a great feeling of the future for USC Trojan football. Well, Coach, great stuff there. We appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was great to see some of those stories out here on the East Coast from uh, you talking to Sarkeesian. So there will be a press conference later. Well, by the time you see this podcast, it will probably be going on. But by noon on Monday, they're supposed to have a press conference with Dion Bailey, so we'll get to probably get some more information about all of that uh, going on there. We do have a, a voicemail question, though, for you, Coach, a very positive one. Uh, here we go and get your comments. Hi, Ryan. Um, I just wanted – this is Sean from Kentucky first, but uh, I just wanted to call in and say, you know, I'm incredibly proud of this team because, you know, this team could have folded a long time ago and said that this season would have been a waste, which many teams do, but – I don't know how many teams can go through having three head coaches, all the injuries that we had, and still win ten games. I think that's just that's absolutely phenomenal to me. And you know, if we can be under this much uh, drama this year and still win ten games, you know, who knows what can happen when we get a full roster back and can actually go out and compete and know our head coach, know our coaching staff, and not have to mess around with all of that. But like I said, I'm just extremely proud of this team, and I'm sure you and Coach Hyde are too. Uh, fight on. Well, I tell you, it's great to hear from a person in Kentucky and uh, the Bluegrass State. And uh, I was a friend of the son of Governor Chandler when I was in Las Vegas. And uh, he is a legend down there in Kentucky. But, Sean, we're glad to have you be a part of our Trojan uh, 
podcast. We hope you join us weekly. And yes, I feel the same way as you do, as thousands do or millions do, of the way the Trojan football program has gone through this season and uh, won 10 football games. You know, it's not easy to win 10 football games. And everyone's trying to win. And when you consider the conference that USC plays in, hey, this football team won six conference football games, lost only two. This is a conference that in nine bowl games have nine teams favored to win in their bowl games. So it's a very competitive conference. The conference is now what it, not what it used to be. You've got outstanding coaches and players up and down in all the different states that these teams uh, play in and universities reside in. When you consider Utah, who didn't finish very high in the West, beat Stanford. Arizona beat Stanford. Uh, or Oregon, excuse me. USC beat Stanford. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And the Trojan went through this not just as a, a solid year, but as a lot of controversy that went along with it. Three head football coaches, three and two, six and two, and one and zero gives you ten and four. So congratulations to the Trojans. The Trojan family went through a lot, and uh, if you go to the malls, you see lines of people standing up buying USC gear, wearing their hats, wearing their jerseys, going back in the country club, playing golf with their sweatshirts back on. There's a run on USC now uh, gear because <laughs> pride is back, Brian. The pride is back. Whenever you have complete domination in a bowl game, domination, that's what Trojan football is about. Against a team that was supposed to be in a BCS bowl game, supposedly, if they beat San Jose State. So to be able to go there and beat a team that was calling this the best team in their school history, was calling this a, a team that would win more games than any other team in Bulldog football history. Now, nothing against Fresno State, but David Carr has never seen this type of speed or athlete pursuing him. And that's what threw his, his rhythm off. They took him completely out of the football game. Time of possession, 39 minutes for USC. The offense was never on the field. They took a whole quarter and a quarter, uh, another quarter of the game away from you, uh, from Fresno State's offense. So it was a great football game. Yes, I'm very proud of this football team, and I'm waiting to see, and I'm hoping. I know Deion Bailey is having a press conference today. I am not expecting Deion Bailey to come back. I voted him the defensive player of the game as far as my portion of that selection on the Trojan Brunch Show. Uh, Pete Arbogast went with uh, Kevin Seymour, the outstanding corner, young corner that I'd say probably might have been the most improved player this year, seven tackles in that game. Uh, they went after him, and he did a great job of covering their great receivers. So, yes, tremendous, tremendous effort by the USC Trojan football program, surrounded by controversy everywhere. And uh, they came out, rebounded, Won a, a bowl game, didn't want an off season like it was last year. Six point favorite going into the game, and they certainly covered that plus more. And uh, on our pregame show that I'm a part of, I took them and said, "Hey, if I bring my guy, you bring your guy. My guy's ready to play, and I don't mess him up. We kick your butt." And that's exactly what I said, and that happened. Um, all right, good stuff. Let's have a question from Jim. I wanted to get you to respond to. He, that was uh, the way USC came out. I mean, they're on fire. It was pretty impressive. And then they go with that onside kick that looked like a great play by 
uh, see what Cravens, but Jim wants to know, was that onside kick ruling bogus or what? Are they just supposed to stand there and see if the other person can catch the ball? Uh, a lot of comments on that one, Coach. I wanted to get your thoughts on the onside kick call. Well, they must have different rules down there in the American Atlantic Conference. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. To everyone I've spoken to, everyone, uh, coaches, uh, other people, of course, this is a, a conversational piece. Uh, you know, an onside kick is something that is free ball. As long as that ball goes 10 yards, the way I've always understand, understood the rule, that's my football after it goes 10 yards. If I'm supposed to allow the guy to catch the ball, what's the sense of doing an onside kick? So I'd like to get an interpretation. I might call Tony Kareni. I'm going to write this down right now while we're talking, who is the coordinator of officials in the Pac-12, and, and just get an, uh, an opinion from him. Uh, I've been teaching it wrong for years then, unless they just changed the rule, because <laughs> – uh, I thought if the ball goes 10 yards, we wipe everybody out and we get the football. And first of all, I was against that call immediately. When I saw him go onside kick, I said, oh, no, you don't get it. You know, the percentage of times you don't get the onside kick. And you look at the field position you're going to give that team. And not only that, they tack on a 15-yard penalty. Uh, you, you get the ball and you got to give it back to them, and then you get a 15-yard penalty. That's one of the only scores that Fresno State got the entire game. The other one coming off of that series as far as where they got the ball and they scored, the other one being the interception that Cody threw. But, uh, wow, I, I, I cannot give you an answer. Can you believe that? I cannot give you an answer because I just don't understand that. And I don't think the TV announcers really understood that. I, I think they were a little confused, too. And uh, no one really did answer that question for me. I'm going to have to get that from the real guy. Yeah, it's really strange. But you may bring up a really good point. That was a, I think that was a 33-yard drive where Fresno State scored. And after the Nelson Aguilar fumble on the, the punt return, that was, I believe, a 37-yard drive. So, I mean, you're talking the entire day, the entire game, the Fresno State offense their scoring drives totaled 70 yards, you know, for three touchdowns. So, because one was a pick six. I mean, it really was a good job by this USC defense. I've seen this Fresno State offense all year, and they didn't obviously they didn't look as as powerful as they normally do. And you know, I, I do understand that USC has better athletes and things like that, but they really Clancy Pendergast came after him and really got him out of his rhythm. And it just wasn't a whole lot unless they had a short field. They weren't scoring. Well, they played man behind it. They did a great job, Josh and Adams and. Seymour and the safeties played well. They had a great game plan. They improved on all the areas that they were deficient on in other games like Arizona State and UCLA. They tried the bubble screen outside and the quick uh, screens and everything, and the, the Trojans tackled so much better. Of course, a couple of them worked. That's a law of average. But they, they kept them for short gains. They didn't get big gains. Uh, they threw uh, Derek Carr out of rhythm. They became flustered during the game. Uh, they were playing catch-up football. They were never on the field. They normally run 85 plays a game. They ran 61. I mean, it was a complete – it was a domination as far as by USC offensively and defensively. And basically, the offensive football team, by dominating the game, kept the defense off the field, which gave them a chance to rest and still play aggressively. And uh, it, uh, it was something that was really – the game plans were done really well. And it just goes to show that you can manage a football game, no delay game penalties, and still be an offensive coordinator. 
You just have to be able to do it properly and understand and be a play ahead of the play that's going on. So if that play doesn't work, you know what the next play is going to be. And you know what your down distance situation is, field position, what zone you're in, and the whole package, and what, how much time's left on the clock, and what the score is. That's all you have to do. It seems simple, but uh, it's great to see a team to practice seven days, seven days to put this type of performance together. First of all, they were fresh, and secondly, they made very few errors. The only error they made, I would say, is the fumble by Nelson, Nelson Aguilar. Why? He was over eager to make a return, and Cody pushed that ball in there, forced it in there, and shouldn't have thrown that football. Otherwise, pretty damn good game. Yeah, I would say so. And like you said, with Clay Helton, he did a, a, a marvelous job, I think, all week leading up to the game. And, of course, during the game, how he handled everything, it could have gone poorly, like the caller said, and it certainly did not. You know, it wound up that Steve Sarkeesian wants to keep him on staff now. Now, there's a couple names, and we had a couple people write in, Coach Earl in West L.A. in Fight on 007 about the same topic. Uh, Tommy Robertson, I mean, Tommy Robinson, excuse me, and Clancy Pendergast wanting to know about their, you know, if they're going to be retained and, and fight on 007 was going on. He said, why would you spend an extra million dollars on Wilcox when you could already have a great, de- you know, defensive coordinator in house already? What are your thoughts on some of the other staff members? Like the, these guys were mentioned, Tommy Robinson, Clancy Pendergast staying on with Sarkeesian. Well, he's bringing his running back coach from Washington. So I would say that uh, there isn't a good chance that Tommy Robinson is staying on. Not that he hadn't done a good job coaching. We're not even getting into that. Okay. We're just talking about when you bring your running back coach from Washington, you start to say you better put the for sale sign up. Uh, it just doesn't make sense unless Steve Sarkeesian has spoken with Tommy. And, and, you know, as a football coach, I had to do this before when I got hired on different staffs as a head football coach. It's a very difficult thing to do. But you do it right away. You don't wait and lead people on. I got there the first or second day and interviewed every single coach and let them know how I feel. So, for their families and so on, it's best for them to know so they can find a football coaching job. This is the way to make a living. Their kids are in schools. It's the holiday season. It's really tough to do. So uh, I'm sure uh, Tommy Robinson has met with Steve Sarkeesian, and he's given him a lead on what's going on. There's, there's, You have to as a human being. And with Clancy, I'm sure there might be some maybes there yet, uh, but, again, he's not a stranger to Steve Sarkeesian. He's been in the Pac-12 for a long period of time. As the longer the time goes, the less chance I think he'll keep Clancy. And the reason why I say that, it's not like he doesn't know who he is. He knows who he is. He's coached against him. He's watched him on film the entire year, this year, last year, every year. Uh, so uh, I would say uh, that the Wilcox deal is done. And I would say you would name him and get it done, uh, but uh, that hasn't happened. So I would say right now maybe it's 50-50. I hope it is for his benefit. But you got to tell your coaches where they stand. Yeah, we'll see uh, what happens there. We should be getting some more news now that, you know, obviously the bowl game's over. It was a very strange situation, Coach, when you had two different coaching staffs, the recruiting staff and the team staff. Now, like you said, that's molded into one. We're going to find out. You know where where the chips fall, and they, you know who's who's gone and who's sticking around. But we should know all that here fairly soon. But that, that was definitely an odd couple of weeks there because of what's been going on. You know, so now now we'll see when you know the the fallout from all this. Who sticks around? 
I, I agree with you, and, and it's uh, a period of time. It's a dead period now as far as recruiting is concerned. So this is why he hasn't been in a rush, Coach Sarkeesian, because it's a period of time we can give a lot of thought to his staffs, interview the players as far as and meet the parents and decide who wants to stay and convince them on who he thinks should stay. So uh, I think it's uh, going to give him a lot of time between now and I think it's January 16th when the dead period opens up again and when you can recruit up to National Letter of Intent, which is February the 5th. And uh, there's going to be probably a few changes on some of the verbal commits. And as you know, the quarterback from Sarah committed. I'm sure you know this, don't you? Sure, yes. He uh, he committed to uh, USC yesterday. So uh, that was somewhat of a surprise, you know. But I asked on the show not to uh, the coaches, but I felt they would take a quarterback. Others didn't think they would take a quarterback because I think they're, they don't know the status of Max Wittick, Wittick, and if Wittick leaves, that would leave them with only two quarterbacks. So I felt they would take a quarterback, and they did, and they took a quarterback that is very familiar with the type of offense and, and has a little running ability uh, that he's used at Washington. So that didn't surprise me at all. Uh, so, there's, uh, there, you know, this is going to be a period of time where everyone's going to be evaluated, strength coach, everyone, everyone on the entire staff, you'd do that not easy, but you want to make sure these people all work for you. You're all on the same page. Because everybody's trying to win, Ryan. It's just not USC that's trying to win. Other people are making these changes and trying to have the best staffs that are out there and the best players that are out there to get it done. So he's he's turned around, I think, two, three commits now. Three commits that had verbally committed to the University of Washington, and now they're going to be Trojans. Yeah, so we'll see. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be going... Fast and furious from here on out till signing day. So you can watch those college football games on the tube, but definitely stick to uscfootball.com if you find out what's going on with this team, recruiting the staff and all that. But, Coach, thanks again. Great well, stuff. Well, wait a minute. Before, before, before oh. I let you go, i got to take a minute here. Oh, of course. I also asked him, and I told him when we started the interview, I said, Coach Sarkeesian, I want you to know I'm passing you a message from the Armenian community. I said, I'm half Armenian, so you know. And he said, Really? <laughs> I said, yes, and I said, this Coach Sark stuff's got to go. It's Sarkeesian. The Armenian community wants you to be known as Sarkeesian, Parshigian, Tarkanian, Sarkeesian. And he said to me, Coach, what do I tell these people when they can't pronounce my name when I go recruiting? You just make sure they understand Tarkanian did it pretty well, Parshigian did it pretty well, and Sarkeesian's got to do it pretty well. <laughs> and then I asked him, I said, you know, if you want to be in the Armenian Hall of Fame, they can't put Coach Sark in. No one knows who that is. You've got to be Coach Sarkeesian. And uh, we had some fun with that, and I asked him when's the next time he's going to have a good Armenian dinner, and he said that his parents would make sure that would happen. So we had a lot of fun on the show, and, you know, there's been a lot of stress around the USC Trojan football program, and you've got to sort of have fun with coaches and you coach him, you know, uh, talk to him man to man, and and uh, he was very respectful. He knew obviously who I was, where I coached, and blah blah blah. But it, it was a great interview. It's now a great time for Trojans. They can sit back, they can relax, they can watch everybody else play, and uh, see just who uh, comes up with the big W. I hope that the athletic department. This is just a suggestion. If you listen to the show, I hope these players attend a basketball game. And they pack the Galen Center, 
They're all on the floor where people can clap and give them a great presence because the game wasn't won at home. It was won on the road. And fill up the Galen Center for one of the big games in the Galen Center, Arizona, Arizona State, before it gets too far into the season. And I want to congratulate the Trojan basketball program with their big win over Dayton. All right, Coach, great stuff. Thanks again for coming on the show. We'll, we'll talk to you again next week. And everyone else, back in a minute, we're going to talk to Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here, 300th episode of the Peristyle Podcast. It's three for 300. I can't take credit for that because that was Dan Weber's phrase, but we have Dan Weber joining us right now talking some USC football. He was out there in Las Vegas, our third guest of the 300th episode. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Uh, very good. Uh, 300, that's amazing. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> For all of us, I guess, really. Uh, but nobody deserves more congratulations than that USC football team and its coaching coaches and that hung in there. What a what a you know special way to go out. And it was kind of bittersweet moment, uh, you know, with all those guys and the coaches afterward. Not you know you don't know heck some of those guys you're gonna ever see them again. Yeah. You know some of the kids were heading straight home. Anthony Sorrell had his big luggage. You know packed to go back to New Jersey, you know, straight straight back from Las Vegas, and some of the guys were going straight home for Christmas. And, um, and some of the coaches, uh, you know, having no idea whether, you know, they'll be back, whether they'll see these kids or anything else. Uh, so uh, could not have been a better way to go out. What a, you know, what a gift they gave to um, USC uh, football fans uh, for this Christmas. Well, you, you mentioned that, you know, playing Fresno State in Las Vegas, Fresno State's going to look very different. They got a bunch of seniors. You know, Derek Carr's not going to be around. We're not sure. You know, we'll see what happens with Tim DeRuiter. I'm, you know, I, it doesn't look like he's taking a job at this point, but he's a hot name. You know, going, you know, turning that team around from four and nine to you know winning twelve, you know, eleven games or whatever. Now, um, they're going to look at, like a different team in the opener next year. How the how different will USC look? I guess it still remains to be seen because there could be a bunch of coaches gone. We'll, we'll find out, I guess, later today about some of these juniors, or at least one of these juniors. But it could be a very different team for USC as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the the amazing thing with USC right now. If everybody that could could come back comes back, this is really a good football team next year. I don't care how low the numbers go, they would have, you know, they might have as many good football players as anybody in the country if everybody comes back. Uh, you know, you certainly think. Probably no way, you know, you see Marquise and with Dion Bailey's press conference uh, at noon, you got to be thinking, and he's been telling us, it certainly seems that, that he's moving on. Uh, you know, maybe he'll surprise us and maybe, uh, you know, that's always uh, something you can think about. And I don't know, you know, which way you want to pull on, on some of those things because for some of these guys, it's the right thing to go. And for some of them, it's not the right thing to go. And uh, for most of them, you never know. 
so it's just hard to even uh, what makes it more difficult is that the people they're talking to about whether they come back or not are not the people they know, not the people they played for, mostly. Uh, it's uh, kind of an unmanageable situation USC you know, has found itself in right now by, uh, you know, and as much as you like, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and think that he can be successful at USC, which, uh, you know, there's no indication that he wouldn't be and won't be, and he's done, you know, many of the right things to this point. Uh, still, you know, this was one of those, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of a situation. And if you're watching that game, Saturday, or, you know, Saturday's game, you're looking around and saying, and they needed to hire a new coaching staff exactly why. Uh, you know, you, who, who performed better? coaching-wise, you know, in the, the last, uh, say, last three months. I mean, this staff was so good that even with the leaving of Ed Orgeron, they kept on and kept on keeping on. And, and again, a tribute to the players as well and, and, and to the decision they all made that they were going to do that. Uh, but, uh, but now, you, you know, you fixed uh, the situation in terms of a head coach. Uh, has that fixed anything else? I guess that's the the question going forward. The uh, I appreciate you doing. I'm I'm on the East Coast, as I told people, um, visiting family, so I didn't get to go out to Las Vegas. And I know you got to do a bunch of, you know, radio stuff. I think a television hit and things like that. Hopefully, all that went well. But uh, you know, since I wasn't there, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on what it was like being in Las Vegas and and what you it, felt the thing was like. Yeah, well, we got the uh, the Fresno TV right before they uh, you know they unfurled the flag and and. It, Got over to the, you know, they were at the the ramp where the Fresno team comes on, and I'm looking for them, looking for them. Really, they're up on a platform above. Having, you know, you got to climb up a ladder, and so we're standing up there as the flag goes by, which is just, you know, to start the day off with a, you know, 100 yard long, you know, full size football field flag that, uh, uh, you know, carried by all the, uh, you know, military personnel. It was just a really inspiring scene. The weather, you know, couldn't have been more perfect. And I remember, um, you know, the anchor from Fresno asking me, he said, do you think USC's ready? And I said, you know, you never know, but I sure think so. I, I really think they want to go out with a bang. Uh, I'd be surprised if they're not. And, man, they could not have uh, made you look, you know, smarter. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we only got about two minutes, and then here comes the national anthem, and they go, oh, time for the national anthem, you know. But, uh but we did get that question and answer in. You know, are USC ready to play? And I said, I really think they are. I think they're absolutely ready to play. And, of course, they were ready to play. Yeah, that was Tommy Tran. He, uh, a buddy, I, sure. I got to meet him because I cover Fresno State as well. Obviously, I met him at the Mountain West Media Days, and he would asked me to, to come on, and I said, you know, I wasn't going to be there. But I'm glad you got to come in there. I, I'm going to have to go look for the video, Dan. It sounds like a great scene. <laughs> it was an amazing scene. Uh, and it, this was the kind of thing that – this is the way you want to go out. Look great on television. And somebody, a couple of people told me, they said, they've never seen the USC Cardinal jerseys look brighter, you know. And I, it was. They, you know, that sun was spectacular. I mean, when you, you get into a press box and they've got blinds on the, on the, you know, the windows in the press box, you know the sun is going to, you know, come, uh, you know, over, that, over those mountains and it's going to be, uh, you know, shining, shining down. And, and there was a big shining spotlight on, uh, on this team uh, uh, on their 10th win, uh, as it should have been. They deserved every every bit of that uh, for, for what this team has overcome. Uh, just amazing. I mean, it is literally, you can say without any 
uh, you know, fear of contradiction, this is something that's never happened before in college football history and will never happen again. There's no <laughs> team in history will actually play for three coaches and have four head coaches within three months. Uh, I mean, that's at any level. I mean, that's, a, you know, at a voluntary level, at a, you know, a club level, much less at a USC level. I mean, the, the, the number of things that have to go into uh, ending up with four different coaches in a, in a span of three months is, is, well, it just can't happen again, uh, and it's hard to imagine. And then to tell people, you know, in 50 years, if you say, and that team won 10 games, they would say, not possible. There's, no, you can't have all the circumstances that require that many coaching changes and win 10 games and win going away uh, against a good team. Yeah. No, not possible. Ah, well, it was. <laughs> it had happened. Um, you know, we talked – uh, last week on the show, a little bit about this. This was a team that usually the the juggernaut team, quote unquote, um, isn't going to be the team that tries to pull out all the stops. It's going to be the Fresno State or the Boise State. But we, you know, I know we talked offline during the week that we thought the defense was just going to, you know, potentially blitz every time. You're going to see a, you know, a lot of aggressive play calling out there. It pretty much came true. I mean, it, it seems like that USC didn't really leave any bullets in the gun, like Clay Helton said. No, and it was interesting. They didn't quite get to Derek Carr, but they almost got there. And they got him to the ground early. Leonard Williams uh, knocked him down early. And he knew they were coming. He was throwing, you know, his, uh, he's a you know, quick-release guy, and he was quicker releasing than normal. And so, you know, when people would say, wow, that guy was open deep. No, he really wasn't because Carr had thrown the ball so early, there wasn't a chance that that pass was going to be completed. Uh, and it was obvious, you know, much of the time, as soon as the ball was released on those deep balls, that it, that it was being released too early. But I think the unknown was the, uh, the way, for example, uh, Kevon Seymour stepped up, and it looked like, whoa, he, okay, and he said he changed his whole mindset. He knew he had to dominate. He wasn't just going to go out there and play, just hang in there, just try to, you know, survive, uh, you know, make a tackle here or there. His job, you know, was to play like a big-time cornerback plays, and there's one way to do that, and you've got to dominate your guy, and he did. Josh Shaw, you know, had a great battle with Devontae Adams and uh, held him to, you know, like eight catches for 70-some yards, but um, not anything he's normally used to doing, and they were, you know, in the Fresno papers marveling over how big and strong Josh Shaw was and how he could muscle, you know, Devontae Adams, you know, six one two fifteen or whatever, and uh, had no real physical advantages against Josh Shaw the way Josh played him. So, you know, and, and I think the one unknown for me was, you know, with just seven or eight practices in 20 days, uh, how were they going to tackle? Well, they were going to tackle pretty well. They really <laughs> drilled. They, they, I mean, they just, you know, that was uh, – they were mad. That USC team was mad. They, they, they didn't like the idea that, uh, you know, even though they were, you know, technically favored – that they, uh, that, you know, they were playing a team ranked, uh, you know, a good bit above them. They didn't like that. And, uh, and, and you got to give Deion Bailey, I think he set the, the tone for USC's approach to this game. He was, uh, they were a little mad about, uh, you know, everything uh, and wanted to go out uh, just the way they did. And, and they did. You know, you take away, you know, the first touchdown, which was uh, essentially – uh, a gift on the, uh, you know, the, the onside kick ruling uh, that, you know, we could probably still debate. And then the, uh, and then the pick six, basically Fresno gets a touchdown. I mean, yeah. that's pretty good. 
That was I, a short I, field too. That came after the Aguilar fumble. So I mean, there's yeah, two yeah, short that's fields. Yeah, true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the onside kick you mentioned. We had a, a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. He wasn't really sure. You were there. Maybe you got some more information. What What the heck was that ruling? Well, that's the new rule that if the ball doesn't bounce twice, because the teams were had come up with you know that new way of doing it with one bounce and bouncing it high, and then it comes down. And they would clear out the entire offensive group that was trying to catch it, you know, just, you know, flying wedges right through them and then have, you know, the next defender come up and get it. So they, they changed the rule that if the ball doesn't hit the ground twice, that basically the offense has a complete opportunity to catch it no matter what. Now, you know, it looked like it was a jump ball between, you know, uh, Sewer Cravens and the offensive guy who wasn't even completely 100% certain he wanted to go for it. Then he decided, you know, to to make a jump for it. Uh, and it was like 13 yards downfield, so there wasn't any question about it had traveled enough, uh, you know, enough distance. I guess it, the one way it works is if that guy drops back, uh and he, let's say he's, he's a blocker, you know, basically lined up at kind of the tackle spot uh, on, the, on the side, on the front row. And if he takes off deep to block, then you've got it with no play. Everybody on uh, Fresno took off except that guy. That guy was still, in, in, you know, in play. He didn't leave. Then he came back, and he, he did make an effort to catch it. So Sewell wasn't technically allowed to catch it until it bounced twice. Uh, so, and, and that guy might not have caught it. Uh, and they, they still then USC still probably would have recovered the thing because they were all around it. But uh, that that's the new rule designed to protect the uh, uh, you know the offensive guys who were getting. I mean that was the strategy was kick it up, bounce it on the ground one time, kick it so that it bounces up in the air, and then your front line off you know of uh, the kicking team just goes and blasts away any offensive guy there, and then you have the second line guy comes and catches the ball as it comes down. So to protect the offensive guys, uh, that's the rule. I can so see, like, I mean, if you're clearing the guy out, but if if Seal Cravens just jumps in front of him and and out rebounds him, and right. he, he didn't impede the guy, like he didn't, you know, block him out yeah. with his body. He just jumped up and caught it. It just yeah, seems like I, I think you're right. I think I think they need to refine that rule and say, uh, once the ball goes ten yards, every player has a right to it. No no player on the kicking team has a right though to knock anybody out of the way. Uh, so once the ball goes 10 yards, you would think it should be a fair, you know, a fair ball up for grabs because, you know, the receiving team doesn't have to go anywhere. It's coming right to them. They're 10 yards lined up right there. So if you can get a uh, kicking team guy there in position to catch it, uh, that's a great play, which it was. Yeah. So I think you're exactly right. Uh, the rule needs to be refined so that, you're not allowed to clear anybody out. You're not allowed to knock anybody down, but you are allowed to go for the ball and beat the, you know, the offensive team to the ball. Because basically, the rule now rewards somebody for standing there and doing nothing, and that's not a good rule. I mean, they got to think some of these things through. And some of these guys on the rules committee, you know, you wish, you know, it's too many, uh, uh, you know, former officials and uh, and. Uh, uh, athletic directors maybe and not enough uh, players yeah. uh, because let a guy make a play. That was a great play. I mean, yeah, that, that should not be illegal. Whatever that play is should not be illegal. <laughs> it was a great kick by Hadari. Perfect placement, uh, you know, uh, just the right amount of time in the air and it come down 13 yards, you know, from, uh, you know, where, where he kicked it. 
and then have uh, Cravens time it up so perfectly, uh, you know, to beat the guy who was already lined up there. Cravens beat him to the spot. Now think about how good a you know play is that. So they may use that rule, you know, use that kick and take it back to the rules committee and say, okay, we got to figure out how to allow this to happen. If it happens, nobody got hurt. Two guys jumping for the ball. Nobody got blocked. Nobody got knocked down. There wasn't any danger for anybody. And we took away a great athletic play. I mean, that would be a great play to uh, keep in the, uh, college football to allow that. Because uh, that would change the whole, I think, dynamics of onside kicks. It would really allow you, you'd pick the spot where you're going to kick it. They won't know. And uh, uh, then it's, a, uh, it's an athletic play. You've got to go 10 yards. They don't have to go anywhere, but you know where you're kicking it. And uh, to me, that would make onside kicks really interesting and dramatic. And uh, that can't hurt college football. And if you can do it without getting anybody hurt, which you, you wouldn't if you, you just said, you know, the defensive team can't, uh, you know, clear people out, you can't block anybody, or that will be a penalty. There you go. I yeah. you're right. All right. Uh, well, hey, we got a voicemail question about some of the sanctions and stuff. So let me, let me play that one for you and get your reaction. Yeah, congratulations on your 300 300- Peristyle. I've watched, listened to almost all of them. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, just want to say in my 52 years, this has been one of the most uh, unbelievable seasons and enjoyable at the end there uh, ever. Um, I just want to say with the NCAA coming down on Washington now, um, what are the chances this is going to go back to uh, Sarkithian? And uh, you know that they hate us. Uh, in my estimation, uh, Pansy uh, Clancy should be retained along with Coach Helton. Uh, not, uh, I heard that Sarkipia is going to reach out to Coach O. Uh, what, a phone call, a text? No. Pat Hayden himself has to load a suitcase with $5 million of alumni money and his knee pads on and get his rear down to Louisiana and beg Coach O to come back. Um, I, I never liked the Sarkipian hire. I think it's foolish. You had John Wayne and you fired him. Or didn't fire him. You pissed him off. But uh, you need to go get Coach O back. You know they say that he can't coach the X's and the O's. He doesn't need to. He's got the he's got the uh, coordinators that can do that. Coach O connects with the Jimmys and the Joes. And when you're inside their heart and their head, they'll do anything. You need Coach O. I don't care what it takes. And whatever happens with Sarkipian, it happens. But you need Coach O back in the fold, and you need him back now. Fight on. I think he captured all of the issues, uh, you know, the fact that uh, with the potential, whatever it is, and as Sark said, it's BS, and, uh, you know, everybody's denying, uh, you know, what that high school coach uh, said about uh, the way uh, his player in Washington was being recruited by, uh, you know, Toss Lapoy with, uh, you know, with money provided for, um, you know, uh, academic uh, help to try to get him eligible. Um, I guess... The, the biggest problem here, you know, it's timing. It's the fact that the investigation will be uh, conducted by the University of Washington, who has a new coaching staff coming in. They want to clear the bases, uh, you know, for Chris Peterson's staff. I'm sure he doesn't want any of that hanging over. So uh, you've got uh, the Pac-12 and the NCAA and USC all involved. How, how quickly this can happen. I mean, if this were Alabama, you know, Tomorrow they would have a press conference and say, Nick didn't know anything. How could he have possibly known? <laughs> it's over. This ain't Alabama. Uh, this could drag on. I mean, you, you know, you've got uh, 
some really you know important things you know going on right now building your staff uh getting your early entry uh, guys squared away uh doing the recruiting for you know for february and you know signing day and uh you really don't want anything hanging over you and and now with the new rule the ncaa uh you know, that committee that you know that pat hayden was on that you know said that you know, uh, all violations like that are going to go right to the head coach, and he's really going to have to be able to demonstrate that he absolutely, positively did not have, uh, you know, uh, anything to do with it in terms of uh, that he had a uh, terrific uh, compliance uh, uh, culture that he had fostered. And now, and with Sark, I mean, the good news is Sark, you know, keeps the daily journal of all his meetings, you know, willing to turn over all his emails, you know, and can demonstrate that, you know, if whatever happened, happened, it wasn't because, you know, he wasn't paying attention to it or because he wanted it to happen. And, and so that's, you know, all to the good. Uh, but the negative is he doesn't get to decide that. People outside USC get to decide something that could materially affect, you know, USC uh, right at this crucial, you know, this crucial time. And there's even, you know, the the, the issue now of, the potential, you know, suspension in the rule, the way the rule is written now, you know, the head coach can be suspended. So, you know, people can say, you know, it wasn't done at USC by anybody at USC and still it could affect USC if, you know, that's obviously, you know, USC knew they really weren't guilty in the uh, Reggie Bush, you know, case. And look what happened. You know, you get the worst penalties in modern football history. So uh, just because you're not guilty, doesn't mean you're, you know, you're okay. So uh, is, that a, is that a kind of a difficult situation? Yeah. I mean, Sark had to address it with the parents and brought it up himself. I mean, it's a really, it's a complication. And USC doesn't need any complications. It's also a complication. You know, will it work out to the better? Does it mean, mean maybe uh, they will hire more Holdover coaches, you know, does this give, uh, you know, you a reason to say, you know, it would really be a good idea to keep as many of these USC coaches as possible and uh, what a great job they did. And, and maybe we don't need to bring in any more coaches from Washington. You know, I mean, I, I would certainly think that that thought is in, you know, one's head at this point, uh, not knowing, you know, what the future is going to bring. But it's comp- it's a complication that wasn't, you know, desirable and wasn't necessary and uh now usc has to deal with something completely outside of usc's control and completely outside of anything that usc had anything to do with probably not where you ever want to be no and uh thanks for that john and melvin also had similar questions along similar line and um but you know one of the things that that could open up is a chance for ed orgeron to come back james in kansas city wants to know if there's any really chance that he would come back. Well, we've been working on it, to be honest with you. And uh, those who, you know, get some, you know, contact with Ed have certainly, uh, you know, sent that message. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a rift and a hurt, and a, you know, that nobody even really understands. And Ed hasn't talked about it. Uh, I mean, I think it, 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 you know, for the most part, the more, you know, people who are close to Ed have tried to figure out what's the best way and it may really come down to, you know, to Sark and, and Sark making that commitment to just go all out uh, and, and get Ed, you know, on board. And um, I think maybe it's something only Sark can do. I think it's something that would reflect 
awfully well on Sark at this point. He would look very strong, smart, and uh, I think if they put together a blended coaching staff that would you know bring back at least five of the old coaches and maybe five Washington coaches or whatever, you know, counting Sark, that would be about as good, you know, as you could do in the situation USC's in right now. I mean, it would be amazing if you did that. And let's say the worst, most unfair, most absolutely ridiculous decision is that Sark gets suspended. You know, does, does Washington throw, you know, this is a difficult place to be the coach that just left the, co- the place that's investigating you. Uh, that's not a place you ever want to be. And say the worst happens and Washington wants to, you know, get rid of it and pin it all on the, the guys that left. And, you know, some of that does redound to, um, to Sark. USC would have the only staff, maybe in the history of the world, that would have two interim coaches back on the staff who've already coached the team <laughs> the previous year. You know, I mean, it would be about as strong a situation you could be in going forward if you had, you know, Ed and Clay uh, on the staff. So, so that's the bright, the bright side of it. And that is, I will say this, and this is never said at all, and probably, you know, we need to recognize it. If Lane Kiffin did one thing right, he brought some really good guys to USC who could step in uh, when he wasn't there. You have to give him credit for that. This coaching staff performed so well. I mean, basically, Ed was still coaching these guys in a lot of ways, if you, if you understood what was going on. Uh, and Clay did, understood it. He was still coaching them. He wasn't even here. I mean, it's just pretty amazing uh, the power of those uh, assistant coaches to step in and, and, and do what they did this year. I agree with you 100%, Dan. All right, well, great stuff, and uh, thanks for all the the good stuff from Las Vegas and uh, getting us in there now with a lot of stuff to cover between now and signing yeah. day and beyond. So we'll every, make sure everyone sticks to uscfootball.com, read Dan's columns, and uh, you'll get a lot of information from it. So thanks again, Dan. I enjoyed it, and, and it does never end. This is a story that uh, <laughs> USC football is uh, three, four, you know, anywhere else uh, you get one story at USC football, you get, you know, stories that just go on and on and, and change and twist, and uh, you never know. You really never know. It's uh, pretty interesting. certainly is, and uh, you don't never know. But uh, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the 300th episode of the Peristyle Podcast and all the fans out there that have been listening from the beginning and anyone that we picked up along the way, thank you very much for that. We're going to actually do a uh, recruiting podcast, Trojan Blast recruiting podcast this week with Gerard Martinez as well. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again for tuning in to our 300th episode. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.